0: Welcome to Co-op Energy Talk. I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative, joined again today by our trustee general manager, Tony Anderson. Hey, Tony.
1: Hey, happy to be here once again.
0: Once again, always. And we have a special guest today. Sam Hoag is the Director of Business Origination at Wolverine Power Cooperative and also served as a project developer for Wolverine's subsidiary, Spartan Renewable Energy. Prior to joining Wolverine, Sam served for five years as venture partner with Open Prairie, which is an Illinois-based private equity fund focused on growing opportunities in rural America. Sam has a bachelor's in environmental biology and political science from Albion and an MBA in finance from the Broad Graduate School of Management at Michigan State University. Thank you for joining us, Sam.
2: Thanks for having me here, guys.
0: And we invited Sam here today so we could talk a little bit about renewable energy in general, and then specifically what's going on with renewables in our region and how his role at Wolverine kind of fits into Wolverine's overall power supply strategy, because Wolverine has really put a lot of time and energy into renewables in the last several years. And so this is a good opportunity for us to kind of touch base with what's going on with that and how it plays into what's going on kind of in a larger sense across the state and across the country. So uh, let's start with Spartan. Sam, can you talk a little bit about what Spartan Renewable Energy is and why it was created.
2: Sure. So, um, about a little more than 10 years ago, as a lot of the renewable energy efforts were starting in the state and a lot of the renewable energy incentives were designed for for for-profit companies, uh, Wolverine had a choice to make, do we always rely on third party, uh, power purchases for our renewable energy, or do we want to create a development entity so that we can uh, develop them ourselves and uh, keep those economics within our cooperative family. So when Wolverine kind of hit that fork in the road, we were also involved in uh, alternative electric sales, which means selling to entities in the retail choice market. And so we created a member of Wolverine in Spartan that can sell into the retail choice market and use those sales and the margins associated with them to create tax appetite and then develop renewables affordably for the co-op at large. So our ability to, when, when Spartan makes money by selling uh, energy in the retail choice market, we can plow those dollars and that tax appetite to be able to build uh, projects like the Spartan Solar Array or the Cherryland uh, Solar Up North Array and other community solar entities for others that are like-minded.
1: And when we talk about retail choice, we're talking about loads of uh, 3 megawatts and above. Yeah. So, so it's the, large commercial yeah, loads the, that yeah. have choice in Michigan today.
2: Correct. So in Michigan, uh, back in 2000, I believe 2000 is when we started in the retail choice market. And then about eight years later, it got limited to to 10%. But we participate in that market. And Spartan sells uh, renewable energy and traditional energy to large entities, uh that are, are purchasers in the retail choice market. What are some of those?
1: Name a few of those large entities to give people an idea. Yeah, where so,
2: so, you know, it's a pretty protected list, Tony, but I will say that most enter, most any large business or university that uh, had the wherewithal to get into electric choice is a is, uh, participant in energy choice. So we serve some of the largest universities in the state and some of the largest businesses too. So,
0: so Tony, you would have been on the Wolverine board when they created Spartan, right?
1: Uh, that was just before I got here. I got here in 2003, okay. and uh, Wolverine Power Marketing is that alternative energy supply arm subsidiary of Wolverine Power. That was already going so a- do, at that time.
0: Do you have a sense of, I mean, you think about, like, the, it was somewhat visionary to have, to have thought to make that strategic move at the time, but do you think they, like, when you look at where it is today, is this really what we saw coming, or how, how do you kind of Well, think
1: um, my view from uh, not being there at the start, but my view since... 2003 was DT and Consumers Energy wanted uh, Michigan open for choice. The co-ops did not want choice. We were, I've explained this time and again over the years, I believe we were drug into, drug or dragged?
0: Either in, way, it wasn't fun, yeah? Yeah,
1: <laughs> into the retail choice market. And to Wolverine's credit and to their success, what they did is, okay, we don't want to be here. Now we're here. So how do we make the best of it? And they've been the best at it ever since. You know, they're returning margins of one to $2 million to all the Wolverine members every year through their, was it, 1920 retail choice customers. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it's no secret that Amway Grand Hotel mm-hmm. is, is a customer down in Grand Rapids. And uh, East Jordan Ironworks was, they're now moving to a new facility. But so it's been some large commercial accounts that are have been co-op members that people really don't know about.
2: Yeah, and the the unique thing about way we've uh, the way we've approached the retail choice market, Wolverine Power Marketing Cooperative, which is our other uh, AES member in addition to Spartan, that I believe is the only cooperative retail choice uh, AES in the country <laughs> that's that mm-hmm. has a cooperative for, uh, structure. And then mm-hmm. you have Spartan which was uh, built specifically so it could create tax appetite to keep renewable cr- energy credit uh, economics within a cooperative. So we had two unique purposes to, to do the energy choice things that
1: yeah. we did. So it's a kind of a two-fold answer to your question. Was it visionary? It wasn't visionary to get us there, but it was very visionary once we got there and we, they planned out how we could uh, play in, in that pool mm-hmm. and and hats and off to Wolverine over and over again. It's very, very successful. And and everybody who's a Cherryland member or, or any co-op member in the Wolverine family is benefiting.
0: Yeah, yeah, to the tune of $1 to $2 million in margins per year. Mm-hmm. And then also, and I, wanna, I do want to dig a little bit more into some of the development work Spartan is doing, it has really benefited us in the last few years as we've found ourselves wanting to get into the renewable market, mm-hmm. something that is a barrier to entry for a lot of other not- for profits, we kind of already had something in place for So can you talk a little bit about what went into developing, for example, the project in Cadillac?
2: Sure. So, so Spartan existed for quite a while before it even did its first development, which was the, the one here at Cherryland. Um, the, and part of the reason was, is when in the early days we were pursuing big, large wind projects, uh, you know, gigantic 50 turbine projects in the thumb, uh. We weren't going to ever have the tax appetite, or really the the cooperative appetite, to own those ourselves. They're, they, you know, they're huge, hundreds of million dollar projects. But when solar started to drop in cost, and uh, the Cherryland Sun program was the first good example, it became very apparent that the that the idea of development through Spartan was ripe to start happening. So when the Cherryland program was developed, and then uh, we saw another iteration of cost reduction in solar and more appetite for community solar uh that's when spartan solar which is the array across from wolverine's headquarters uh really kind of came to shape and that's when i got the phone call um, from uh, wolverine to say can you help us put this project together it's a little bit larger than the one we did up at Cherryland." and uh and so that's when i started contracting for wolverine i served as a contractor for about a year and a half as the project developer there and uh, was happy they offered me a job afterwards so
0: and uh, what do you kind of, when you think about just looking forward, let's say in the next five years for Spartan, mm-hmm. what do you see in terms of Spartan and what you guys might be looking to develop?
2: Yeah, I, I think Spartan is going to find a sweet spot in, uh, you know, small scale community solar arrays for entities that can't recognize the tax credits. So that that uh, applies to all of our, you know, cooperatives uh, or all of our distribution cooperatives. It applies to municipalities. It could apply to even a, you know, a cooperative grocer that wants to, uh, offer community solar through its membership and just doesn't have the ability to recognize that tax credit. And then as the tax credit, um, phase away in the next five to 10 years, uh, Spartan solar could stand al- or Spartan renewable energy can stand alone as a developer against any other major developer in the country because they're on an equal footing. But the, the knowledge that we're getting from a, on a cooperative uh, standpoint, to be able to develop these projects are, are things that will translate, you know, decades from now when renewable energy is, is just a, the, the status quo in any major portfolio.
1: Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of to explain to our listeners a little bit on how Spartan captures that tax credit. Sure. Basically, Spartan is a for-profit entity. Yep. So they build a solar array like they did next to the uh-huh. Cherrylands office and they capture the tax credit, the federal tax credits that we all pay for on that array. Yep. And what they did for Cherryland is basically just reduce the price we were Correct. able to charge for the solar panels. And so all our members who participated in that community solar project also participated uh, in the benefit yeah. of that tax credit
2: yeah if you're not if you're not paying taxes like cooperatives or other nonprofits aren't then you can't recognize the the economics from a tax credit so our ability to, uh, our ability to capture that with Spartan keeps those economics within our co-op family and we're able to obviously as a co-op pass those savings on all the way down to the rate or the member yeah. at the end of the line.
1: Yeah, if Cherryland built that solar array on our own, we would have never been able to capture the tax credits. Yeah. So the, the, the per panel lease price would have been much higher.
2: Yep, exactly. And that was what we were faced uh, when, you know, when we created Spartan. So
0: so you, you talked about the tax credits going away, but kind of in, just independent of community solar in mm-hmm. general, what do you see as the challenges with future renewable development? Like, I mean, is the, when the tax credit phases out, is that going to be a problem?
2: Uh, it will, it won't be a problem. It'll be a new hurdle. You know, I, as I go around talking to folks about renewable energy, the, I always say there's a there's great news and there's bad news. The great news is it's never been more apparent that renewable energy is gonna be a large part of all utilities portfolios. That writing is absolutely on the wall. The bad news is, at least in the confines of Michigan, it's not totally clear how that's actually, how we're gonna achieve that. And so, you know, we're always up against new hurdles. You know, the, the big one at first was always price. The price of renewables was always high, the install costs themselves in relation to the energy you got out of them. That's starting to hit, you know, those costs have been driven down substantially in the last decade, so that's no longer the the large hurdle. And now we're hitting scenarios, at least in the wind industry, and I, Tony probably shares this with you too, it'll eventually happen in the solar industry, where you have land use battles. So, uh, and it at first didn't hit the wind industry because you can continue to farm and do a lot of things in, in big wind projects, but there's becoming so many wind projects now in Michigan that people view them as unsightly and, and there's a bit of a not in my backyard mentality and so uh, folks at least in the thumb who, who have uh, a lot of wind turbines in their sight lines, they are uh, they're finding ways to kill projects at the township levels and because our state doesn't have any uh, statewide zoning. Um, it it basically, uh, or as it relates to renewable energy, it, it's basically creating an opening to kill viable projects. On the solar side, you have a you have a whole bunch of different dynamics. You have uh, turbulence in terms of panel pricing. Uh, a lot of the stuff is manufactured overseas, and uh, the tar- the potential tariffs on the prices are giving uncertainty to the market. And then, to some extent, even though they don't consume as much land as wind projects, they are oftentimes going on what could be prime farmland and there's a food versus energy battle there. And, and it is starting to get to the point where people just don't like looking at them. So there's a bit of a, a not in my backyard mentality, you know, and it's different seeing a, a, maybe a 10 kilowatt array on someone's house and thinking that looks cool to seeing an entire field full of metal and, and PV that just, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's just different. So...
0: And, and I would say that I don't think those uh, zoning issues that you're talking about with wind in terms of them applying to solar, I don't think that's very far away because no. I, we have a project within our service territory within mm-hmm. the last 30 days that was trying to move forward with land that had already been acquired in a township that they had previously built in and the zoning in that township had changed and now they have to look for more land, for land somewhere else. So
2: yeah, so the I think w- we're
0: already starting to see some of that. I know after we built our array in front of our office, the township we built in said, now it's time for us to evaluate our zoning. Yeah. I'm not saying it was necessarily a direct response to that, but
2: yeah, there's no I think if there's been any failures in in the state as it relates to renewables, it's having a, a consistent and coherent um, zoning and consistent and coherent property tax treatment. Those two things, Really uh, can jeopardize projects, uh, and really, renewable energy developers aren't looking for special treatment. They just need to know what the numbers will be. Um, they'll they'll always be able to know whether they can do a project, but it's very hard when the the guidelines change and they don't know what the property tax treatment might be, or if they're developing in a in a place without a solar ordinance and their zoning. Uh, you know, and so the response is from a lot of townships as it relates to wind and solar is they're, they're putting the, pushing the pause button. So they're doing what's called moratorium. So they'll, they'll just park it for a year while they come up with an ordinance. Uh, but that directly plays into the, the conflict that we mentioned before. The investor tax credit starts phasing down in 2020. These projects take a couple of years to develop and build. And so if you don't have guidance now in the next six to 12 months and you hope to have a project in service by end of year
1: 2019, those
2: projects start to become in jeopardy.
1: And, and nobody is advocating for statewide zoning at this time. I know no. The, I know the co-ops aren't. The nope. investor-owned utilities aren't. seems to be an 800-pound gorilla we don't want to touch. Nope. The environmental groups don't want to touch statewide zoning. Yep. But, but that's the hindrance to really more wind in the state of Michigan is – Local zoning,
2: yeah, and the and you look at a wind project, and you know, solar is a little bit easier to all have in the same township. But if you have a if you're doing a large wind project that spans three or four townships, you could be up against three or four different uh, mm-hmm. uh, ordinances, and so that 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 keeps the wind folks from being able to do much larger projects.
1: Do you see anybody advocating for statewide zoning, the, the wind developers, or is anybody going to take that on?
2: You know, I don't. I don't know. Um, it's certainly not. As it relates to Wolverine and our priorities, we're not certain that the, the mega solar projects are the way to go anyway. Um, we're, we we think the maybe the right size for solar projects is in that 25 megawatt to 50 megawatt range. Uh, something that, you know, you could do on a, on a, you know, hundred to 250 acre uh, piece of land that's, you know, pretty readily available all in the same township, uh, could be flat, pretty contiguous. Um, the, the larger developers obviously like to spread their development costs over more land, but I think that they open themselves up to a lot more risk and a lot more pushback. So, uh, yeah, so it, it's not something that we're really taking up actively, but I'm sure larger developers yeah. wish they had a more consistent, uh, you know, one
1: sandbox the, to plan. One of the common responses from the guy on the street when you mentioned that, well, solar takes up a lot of land and we only have so much land, well... What are we going to do it's going to be a problem in the future the common response is i i get is well there's a lot of rooftops so what are we talking about 200 acres of land for when we have Mm -hmm. acres and acres of rooftops can't you just put them all there
2: well there's challenges to that too because uh, unless you have some large concerted program that can uh, get the procurement economies so the, the ability to purchase tons of panels and put them across lots of roofs every one of those rooftop program or rooftop installs is, is quite expensive when you compare with something utility size. Uh, is it, does that mean that a bunch of folks who might net meter with a small array on their house, isn't helping that equation? No, those are great projects, but to be able to do one effort that you can buy all your panels at once and sign a couple hundred people up for, uh, for installs, those, those efforts just have never happened really in the United States.
0: Well, and I think, um, from a, well, first of all, we know this from kind of a, a grid efficiency and a grid balancing standpoint. Larger projects that feed in at places that make sense within the transmission system and distribution right. system we've all already invested in make, you know, that just makes, that's smart planning. I also, th- I still hold on to the belief that there are a lot of homeowners that do not want to own their own sure. generation. I know I'm one of them. Like, I mm-hmm. love investing in community solar, it's a great fit for my level of interest in having to do anything. Like, I don't want to have to worry about it on my roof. I don't want to have to... Cl- and I know, and that's not right for everyone, but I'm just saying, I think that's the other mm-hmm. challenge with rooftop yes. is there are a lot of people for whom that doesn't hold appeal. They want to see us do more with renewables, but they like the model we have today where the utility takes on all of the work and the risk. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> And
2: some people are just, they're, you're either stuck with the orientation of your house or you're unwilling to build sure. a house with a perfectly south-facing roof. And, uh, and maybe you're... Uh, maybe your neighborhood authority doesn't allow a ground mount or, you know, there's just, there's so many barriers Mm -hmm. to doing it at the small scale and the home level. And if, if you're passionate about it and you find a way to do it, then more power to you. And there's great programs, especially through our, our co-ops, uh, out there to, to, uh, help you do it. Um, but as that, as it relates to contributing to the, to the larger renewable portfolio, it's a pretty small piece Mm -hmm. that, that, that piece will have to be solved with utility scale projects and our are we, we tend to think like you, Rachel, that, uh, you know, small, smaller projects that are large enough to get some of the utility scale procurement benefits, but scattered throughout our, uh, distribution and transmission system are really what will make the most sense than mega projects that might be only contributing at one node.
0: Yeah. So, um, when you think about Wolverine's overall power supply portfolio, what what do you see in terms of the amount that renewables will make up of that kind of going forward at different milestones, whatever, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? And then also, can you talk a little bit about how you think our balance of renewables might change? Because we've talked about some of the challenges to building new wind. It doesn't sound like we're going to see a lot of more wind development. So how's that going to impact what makes up the renewables?
2: Sure. Well, Wolverine's been uh, very fortunate to you know, be directed by wonderful staff and, and Board of Directors. And our uh, our great position in renewables to date is is really the offshoot of that work that occurred a decade ago, back when folks thought renewables were ridiculous and never going to happen. Uh, you know, Wolverine invested in the first large-scale wind farm in the Thumb, and people were really scratching their heads why we did that. And the real reason was because our members demanded it. They they viewed it, and perhaps it, it you know, relates back to our rural farmer DNA and hedging prices and not believing anything is going to be the same way forever. But, our, you know, we have, you know, uh, without a doubt the strongest renewable position of any major generation company in Michigan, um, and that's because that work started a decade ago instead of two years ago. So uh, we've never really worried about a renewable portfolio standard because we've always been ahead of it, um, and that our distribution co-ops have, uh, have never had to worry about it because of that. Um, but the mix will change over over the next uh, couple decades. You know, most of that renewable energy uh, that we've procured to date has been in large scale wind. We think it'll probably be more medium to large scale solar over the next decade because that's just the those are the projects that are looking at getting developed here in Michigan and we've always and, and we're also not ruling out uh, potential out of state energy that could that could get here the the challenge and I, I think you addressed it in your last podcast is is getting through Chicago. It's hard to get big out of state projects in here to Michigan. But we also have always had a, we've always put a premium on projects that can be located in our co-op footprint. Those are ones that our members can see. Many times it's ones that our members and their contractors uh, can be working on. And uh, there's just a, a little bit of local control that we like in, in, in that. So I think as we look to, to round out our solar, or our wind and solar portfolio, a lot of it will come from in footprint projects uh, whether they occur now or a decade from now, but it, they'll, uh, they'll continue to happen. And, and part of the big contributing factor to this is just great decisions as, as it relates to rampable natural gas plants. So we have a portfolio that when, when wind is blowing, uh, natural gas plants can ramp down. And when wind is not blowing, natural gas plants can ramp up. And natural gas is really serving that storage element that we might get to you know, even a decade from now. And battery storage could p- potentially start playing that same role.
1: It's important for our members to realize, too, that while our members demanded more renewable energy and we delivered, Wolverine did a great job focusing on affordability. Mm-hmm. That first wind project in 2006 w- was the lowest of its time. And then we sat on the sidelines while wow. renewable prices were sky high for several years. And then when they dropped, Wolverine got back in again. And so it's always been focused on affordability and and renewables at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they've done a good job pairing both up because our rates have not gone up as we've added renewable to our portfolio.
0: And, and you hinted at this, but I mean, our portfolio is almost 20% renewable. So certainly the highest in this region, sure. um, some of the highest in the state. And then when you layer in our uh, nuclear contracts, we're over 50% carbon free. So in yeah. terms of our carbon footprint and the kind of improvements we've made over the last decade... And being able to do that yeah. at a cost point that is yeah. go back 20 really years,
1: we're, we're probably less than two percent. Yep, uh, carbon amazing. free. Now we're 56 percent.
2: Yeah, it, it's safe to say that you know, starting now in 2018, our uh, five uh, electric distribution co-ops with Wolverine and our AES customers that are served through Spartan and Wolverine Power Marketing are getting the cleanest, greenest energy in Michigan. There's there's uh, no doubt about that.
0: That's really cool. So I want um, to tra- kind of transition just a little bit because we don't have a ton of time left, but I want to talk about, um, there's this thing we talk, when we hear about solar, we hear a lot about avoided cost and mm. the and the value of solar. There's a lot of conversations going on about that. It plays into different rulings like PERPA, which I'm not going to get deep into the weeds of, but can you just talk a little bit about the value of solar and some of the things that go on in terms of like identifying what that value is.
2: Sure. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the phrase avoided cost and PERPA are the ones that have come up recently. Um, mostly because of the consumer's energy ruling with PERPA. um, avoided cost without getting too far in the weeds is basically the cost within your portfolio contracts or through market to meet that same energy need somewhere else. And part of the reason why, uh, Avoided cost for solar tends to be higher than others, is because a lot of the time that need is in the summer, in the hottest months, uh, d- during cooling loads. So, uh, so when folks look at PERPA and avoided cost, as, as it as it relates to some utilities, if it's a high number, you know, if it's eight or nine cents, that really provides a good window for solar developers. Uh, to, to develop and have the utility buy their their energy because if it's a qualified facility, the utility is re- required to do that up to a certain point. Um, it doesn't. The PERPA doesn't really apply as much to Wolverine because our avoided cost of energy is is quite low. So uh, our ability to service that need during hot summer months is is met because of a flexible and affordable generation fleet. So. Uh,
0: and that's partially because of our natural gas assets. Yeah, right? part.
2: Yeah, part because of all of our assets, really. I mean, even a perfect example is the the cold spell a couple of weeks ago, um, on days where it was hard to get natural gas to plants because there was so much electric heat happening, and and we, you know, MISO was calling for uh, for lots of plants to run. Wind was meeting almost fifty percent of our our needs. So it really it really relates back to diversity, and how those contracts interplay. So, but um. Yeah, so avoided cost is one measuring stick that people use uh, for whether it's uh, feasible to get a solar project across the finish line.
0: And I think it's important, you said something, and I just want to highlight it, that not every utility's avoided cost will be the same. And I, and I hear the, the term bandied about as if it is kind of like this set thing. Right. There is this one avoided cost for all solar, and, and I think they're thinking in this really large-scale market mentality. But when we're thinking about what the actual impact is on our members, the correct thing to do is apply it to our actual avoided cost as a utility.
2: Exactly. The the news, the headlines that you've been reading about avoided cost and PERPA are, are specifically related to a recent ruling for another utility. Yeah.
0: So. Sorry. I just want yeah. to make sure we said that mm-hmm. so it's clear. Yep. Um, and then, this isn't necessarily just unique to renewables, but your role at Wolverine, the the business origination role is a new role. Talk to me about kind of wh- where that came from and how that fits into Wolverine's strategy and why it why it matters
2: Well it's a it's the first of its kind role um, and it really stems from Wolverine being in a position to grow. Uh, Wolverine has spent its its first part of its life. Uh, making sure we can catch up to and meet the needs of the uh, the distribution members that we serve and with the addition of the alpine power plant in gaylord it's the first ever time in wolverine's life where it's basically long on supply and can start participating in in the energy market above and beyond uh, just our aes customers and our distribution members needs so we're we're actively in the market uh, looking to grow and so we're forming new relationships with folks that are like-minded um, to, to grow as a co-op. So that's uh, so that, that role is, you know, about 50% of what I do. And then the 50% is continuing to, uh, continuing to grow the wholesale opportunities within Spartan and, uh, and the rest of the co-op. So.
0: And I think it's important to point out, this is another moment when kind of the rest of the state, they're throwing their hands up saying, oh my gosh, right. we're not going to have enough power supply. What do we do? What do we do? And Wolverine's like, well, we just, you know, we're just going right. to go build this plant, <laughs> yeah. right? We're just going to go invest in building new yeah. new solar or, or whatever. And so it's it's kind of an amazing place to be as a utility today that we're saying we are an incumbent utility, not an AES, n- not just an, mm-hmm. I don't mean not an AES, but not just right. an AES, um, who is, who has made an investment in in power supply and is in a position to, to market it
2: really it was the 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 foresight of our staff and our distribution member directors to say this is a great time to grow as a co-op this is a great opportunity with the alpine power plant and we've all benefited from scale and for the first time ever let's go out and really chase being big at scale and uh, the you know it's just timing really well it's a over the next decade there's a lot of questions regarding supply in the state of michigan our distribution members don't have to worry about that. And they're also, they've also watched as the co-op grew really a, a lot through power marketing and Spartan, too, mm-hmm. the benefits of scale as it relates back to, to the distribution members, which are the heart and soul of, of Wolverine.
1: So. Yeah, and it's, it, and it's a long-time change in philosophy uh, towards ownership. You know, for a big part of Wolverine's history, they were just buyers of contracts of power. Now we own steel in the ground in, in various forms. And it's they're they're taking a long term look for stable power supply and ownership is the key to that stability. Mm-hmm. Okay. It'd
2: be really easy, you know, it'd be really easy to just kind of lay off the gas once you've met your members' needs, you've accomplished it, everyone's happy. But the uh, the reality is, is there's going to be new challenges in the power supply world that we don't even know about now. And we'll, we've all we've always been uh, a beneficiary of scale, and so if we can hit scale, it'll help us mitigate those those new challenges.
0: I mean, I think I think we're kind of going to wrap up and go to fun facts. But I, for me, every time we have the opportunity to bring some from someone from Wolverine onto the podcast, it just reiterates for me how well you guys have done at positioning us to be strategically viable today. And so much has gone into that. And I don't know that our mem—it's just so hard to, to get members to really understand how good it is to be a co-op member today mm-hmm. in terms of our readiness to meet, whether it be carbon standards or uh, in, our members wanting more renewables at a price they can afford, or like me, I don't want to own it on my home, but give me all the, all the options I can have to not have to. I mean, we just every box we seem to be ticking and doing it, as you pointed out, Tony, at rates that are affordable for our members. Mm-hmm. And really rel-
1: cool. reliability that's been better than ever too.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: uh, and Wolverine plays a big part there as well.
0: Good time to be a co-op member.
1: Good time to be a co-op member. Good. So on good that, good to be us.
0: On that, good. yes, good to be us. On that end, uh, it's time for fun facts. Did you guys bring your fun facts? I had a fun Did. fact. Okay, good. Tony, you want to go first?
1: Sure. I was recently at a, a CEO conference, a general managers conference. Three hundred and fifty uh, individuals, like myself, who manage uh, electric co-ops across the country. And at that meeting were four individuals, including myself, from the same high school. One individual graduated in 77, uh, one in 76, and two in 1980. All four are uh, managing co-ops across the country today, all from the same high school.
0: So there's something in the water.
1: And there's two that have retired that have, you know, so I I, I can point to six managers from one high school in a little prairie town in South Dakota.
0: That's pretty cool. Sam?
1: So my fun fact is... Uh, after a year and a half of contracting,
2: after I got the job offer from Wolverine, I had to deliver the news to uh, the person offering it that my wife and I were going to go on a six-month trip around the world. <laughs> and uh, after, his, after he picked his jaw off, off the floor, uh, we, worked out, we worked it out so that I could come back in April and June uh, in 2017. So I flew around the world literally twice uh, to come back and work on some special projects with Wolverine. But I was able to uh, tour around the world with my wife, who's a, a dentist, and we did some mission dentistry as we went through the better part of Asia. And if the uh, business origination role doesn't work out long term, I know in, at least in third world countries I'm an okay dental assistant. <laughs> I, I'm good at providing suction and, uh, and some other <laughs> things uh, and cleaning instruments. So I, I, I have a backup career. So nice. always, yeah. It's always good yeah. to have skills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Well, you guys came up with really good ones. Mine's a, mine's a little more, I don't know utility-esque. But anyway, uh, in 2016, we rolled out a new way of, the, of net metering, so a kind of a trio of solar options for our members. And when we did that, there were a lot of questions about the impact it would have on our members' willingness to invest in solar in our region and our ability to grow solar in our region. And so I'm pleased to report to you today that in the first full year of that program, the year of 2017, we added 1.3 megawatts of new solar to our system, To put that in perspective, in the 10 years prior to that, we added 500 kW or half a megawatt to our system. So our new program is 257% larger in one year than our previous program was in the prior 10 years. So it's it's good to know that with some of the things we talked about today, declining prices, um, the continuation of tax credits, but also this program we were able to roll out in partnership with Wolverine, we've had a big impact on solar in our region.
1: And we have some projects in the works that if they come to fruition in 2018 could dwarf that number. That'll be my
0: fun fact. Next January. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Anything else to add, guys?
2: Got nothing. Okay. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us.